good morning, everyone, and welcome to Dementia Unplugged Care Conversations. I'm Jeannie Forrest, the host, and welcome you and some of you back again. Today, we'll be talking about LGBTQ considerations in dementia care. As always, uh, I give a little bit of uh, an introduction and especially about the uh, our interviewee and open it up to question and answer through the chat function after about 30 minutes of conversation. Before we get formally started, I want to read this important message from the Dementia Society of America. All content including any potential medical information, is provided as an informational resource only, and it's not to be used for any diagnostic or treatment process. It should not be used as a substitute for professional diagnosis, care, and treatment. Please consult your healthcare provider before making any healthcare decisions <clears throat> and or for guidance about a specific medical condition. The opinions expressed and the content shared by me, Dr. Forrest, and my guests are not necessarily the opinions and content of the Dementia Society of America. Thank you for listening to that. For those of you who may be new to the program, I want to make sure that the word dementia is more formally understood the word dementia is really an umbrella term, and it represents a whole variety of underlying diseases and conditions that present in a way what we call um, dementia. Similar to the word cancer, there are many different types of cancers. There are many different underlying um, you know, subtypes along that umbrella term. So, uh, the main takeaway here is that the word dementia is not a disease in and of itself, but there are many underlying conditions that present itself. Uh, unfortunately, uh, many are, are, are not uh, curable at this point in our understanding in science. Some are reversible, and that's why it's so important uh, to really receive an in-depth medical evaluation if, if you're concerned about yourself or someone else. Uh, the more uh, known, familiar types of dementias are Alzheimer's disease, vascular, uh, sort of a mix, Lewy body, frontal temporal, and the list does go on and on. And hopefully that kind of clarifies a little bit so that we're all sort of talking along the same manner. So you are listening today to Dementia Unplugged Care Conversations. Over the past year, it's been sort of subdivided into two other programs. So uh, in our care conversations, we interview caregivers, leading researchers, uh, innovators, doing lots of good work in dementia care. And it's the first Monday of, of every month. This year, we've also added Dementia Unplugged Musical Connections. These are sessions with really leading brain health scientists 
that look at the benefits of music uh, <clears throat> in terms of brain health and just life enrichment. And this is on the third Monday of each month, and it's in partnership with Music and Memory. Thirdly, we have Dementia Unplugged Artful Insights. It is more of a conversation that looks at uh, art from leading museums, and this is on the fourth Monday of each month, and it's in partnership with Arts Philadelphia. So uh, we hope you will benefit from all of, all of Dementia Society of America's programming. I'm gonna introduce our guest today. That is Joe Fisher. He is the CEO of Renewal Memory Partners. A little bit of background here, especially for those of you who are listening in. Joe is a social entrepreneur, is a, has a real passion for person-centered care, a lifelong advocate for marginalized populations. Joe's uh, really has pioneered one of the first uh, affirming care services for LGBTQ older adults and those with memory loss. In terms of background, Joe also holds a uh, bachelor's degree in art history and an MBA from Columbia. He also has completed executive education through Harvard Divinity School, serves as an advisory council to the Zen Center for Contemplative Care. And uh, in his spare time, when he's not in the office, he travels, enjoys histories, modern art, meditation, uh, spending time with his husband, Al, and um, son, Ethan. So with no further ado, and also his, uh, I, I should say, that you can reach him uh, later on through renewalmemory.org. So now I'm going to sh uh, stop sharing these slides so I can welcome Joe. Thank you so much, Janine, for, for having me today. And thank you as well for, for, for Kevin uh, for You're hosting. I'm really, and really glad to be here. Yes. Um, and of course, I am going to minimize. And there you are. Okay. Now I can see you. Oh, the joys of technology. I just love it. <laughs> so glad. Um, I know we're, we're thrilled to have you today. And so <clears throat> I think I, I like to start off with what, tell us a little more of how you became um, interested in maybe specializing a little bit in, in dementia care, especially for LGBTQ uh, individuals. Sure. Well, I think for me, the uh, first area of specialization was uh, an interest in serving LGBTQ older adults. Um, I, um, I've always been um, interested in uh, serving the community. I've always had a bit of a, an activist strain uh, in, in myself. Uh, during my uh, college years, I interned at the Empire State Pride Agenda, which at the time was the a nonprofit advocating for rights on a statewide level in New York. Uh, fortunately, we've made a lot of progress since then, not just on a state level, but on a national level. But my um, my mom, uh, she's uh, 
She's worked in home care for about 20 years. My dad is a nurse. So it's, this is also in my DNA to a certain extent. <laughs> but um, in, the year, in the year 2009, um, I, um, I had uh, graduated, uh, or the previous year I had graduated from my, uh, my graduate program. And I was really interested in uh, doing something uh, focused in social enterprise uh, to be of service. And one of the things that um, was increasingly on my own radar is just how are how am I going to age um, as a as a member of the LGBTQ community? What are the resources that are available to me? And one of the things that I uh, discovered in living in the year uh, 2009 in the city of New York was that there wasn't a resource available at that time for LGBTQ older adults who wanted to age in place at home. And uh, this was very surprising to me, especially in a place like New York that had uh, continues to have such a thriving population within the gay community. And uh, this was very concerning to me. It really, um, uh, particularly because the more I learned, the more I learned that many people in the community were going back into the closet as they aged for fear of discrimination. Mm-hmm. And this was a, a generation that I felt especially indebted to because it was the generation that fought at Stonewall, uh, that was marching when it was very hard to do so, and really paving the way for many of the rights that um, that the community enjoys today. So I've always felt um, a lot of gratitude mm-hmm. and indebtedness to yeah. this generation. And um, so when I first started out with Renewal, it was to create the first home care service in the country that had a special mission to providing a safe space for LGBTQ older adults. Um, my interest in dementia came rather organically from there because uh, many of our first clients that we served uh, had a, a diagnosis of Alzheimer's or a related dementia, which, as we know, can include many other types of dementia. Mm-hmm. And so the, my, um, my uh, interest and expertise kind of grew client by client and uh, I discovered um, an inner passion for for serving people with dementia. I think particularly for me because I also have a background in the arts um, and and music, and um, I love um, I love integrating that into our work. And I'm also an avid meditator, and I feel like one of the things uh, most important things about being with someone with dementia is living in the moment. So I, yes. I I think this is an area where I can just combine a lot of my interests into a single area of work. Yes. No, I mean, it, it, it is really wonderful how that whole package of, of your background and skill set and you had to learn by doing. Right. I mean, this is and, 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 and we're still learning in term. And I know this is going to be difficult to answer because we don't have accurate numbers, but what's your sense of how many older LGBTQ individuals 
have some form of dementia? It, you know, where, where would we find that information? Um, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a really great question because I, I think one of the things that we're first trying to measure is how many LGBTQ adults are there um, in our population. Yes. Um, I think what I think that's for for decades, this has been a largely invisible population and continues to be so to a great extent. But I think that uh, in terms of current estimates, I believe that there's currently estimated to be um, roughly 2.5 million um, LGBTQ older adults in the United States. And that number is expected to, to grow by multiples in the years ahead. Yes. And um, I don't, I don't know um, a source that estimates the number of people specifically with with dementia, um, although there has uh, there started to be some studies indicating that people within the community have a higher risk. So I think it would be safe to say that the the prevalence within the community is likely to be higher than that of the general population, mm-hmm. um, and. There was um, a, a study that came out from, I believe, the University of California in San Francisco a couple of years ago that that validated that. Okay, thank you for that. And so for the listeners uh, now and who will be listening later to the recordings, it is, I think, imperative that we all become more dementia sensitive and, and competent. Um, going forward. Um, For those who may be very new to this whole subject, can you um, just spell out or or just identify what LGBTQ stands for? Just one, might want to start there just to make sure we're all, again, using the same nomenclature. Um, Sure, sure. And it, uh, so LGBTQ would be lesbian, uh, bisexual, gay, and transgender, mm-hmm. and uh, Q is queer, and that was that was a letter that was added on. Um, it, I think, uh, probably in the past uh, ten years, more more prevalently, um, and I think oftentimes now we will also use a plus sign afterwards because. I think um, the uh, the acronym continues to grow. Sometimes people will put LGBTQIA, um, uh, and um, and so there's um, some people are identifying as um, not queer but questioning or um, or intersex. So I think there's um, one of the ways to be kind of continuously all encompassing is to just add that plus at the end and um, which could also include allies, which hopefully includes everyone. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Cause that can be confusing given sort of the alphabet soup that people are presented with and, and, and it could be a real learning curve um, for many. So thank you for that. So in terms of where would you, 
how would you describe some of the major challenges or differences in caring for someone who is LGBTQ plus versus not? What, what are some of the extra struggles that you see as an owner of a, you know, a home care agency? Um, you know, what's different? What makes it more challenging? Sure, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, I think that there are just many additional areas of, of added vulnerability. Um, so, met, and, ho- and hopefully as time goes on and as acceptance grows, many of these areas of vulnerability will decrease over time. So, but in terms of the current generation that's growing older within the community, um, you know, they are less likely to have family support which I think is huge for all of us who are aging. You know, many are estranged from their biological relatives. Um, many do not um, do not live with partners, or perhaps their partners are have passed away um, and live alone. And I think that um, social isolation is um, becoming more and more known as as a as a silent killer unfortunately there's been uh, many many studies emerging uh, just showing um, higher rates of mortality among people who are socially isolated mm-hmm. and and I think that um, because of that isolation many people within the community are more likely to fall through the cracks they're harder to they're harder to reach. And then when you do reach them, it's all, it can also be more challenging at times to understand exactly where they're coming from, including whether or not they're a member of the community. Um, many people within the community um, are hesitant to disclose their, their background or their orientation because of fear of discrimination. Um, in fact, many uh, according to studies, um, avoid seeking um, medical care for that reason. So I think that um, you know, being sensitive to the community um, really manifests in many different ways. I mean, I think from the way that organizations need to train their staff um, to hiring and you know, ongoing care, but um, there's um, there's many many best practices. But I think one of the I think one of the baseline things that we all need to do is to not make assumptions. Very and yes, that someone is straight. Number one, absolutely, absolutely. That sort of seems to be the knee jerk reaction in in making that that assumption. And I. Yeah, I just want to emphasize some of the things you you talked about is that, especially for some of my own clients, it's often uh, the diagnosis of dementia often becomes, is late because of the fear of entering into a healthcare system that can be very discriminatory and stigmatizing. And so it may be much later uh, before uh, any type of uh, dementia-related diagnosis comes on board. And then the idea of family, uh, using the term family of choice, not assuming that 
someone's blood-related brother or sisters are considered family. They may have ostracized someone. So you really are expanding that circle of care into their family of, of choice. Right, right. That's a term that we often use a lot in our, in our work uh, be, because of the unfortunate estrangement from biological families. Uh, the, also, um, LGBTQ older adults are much less likely to have their own children. So they've been put in a position where they needed uh, to define their own families on their own terms. Mm -hmm. And I think that many, um, I think along those lines, um, many people within the community, um, I think statistically are more likely to care for others um, outside of their, outside of their bloodlines in caring for their families of choice. Um, I, I think that on that, on that, um, I had a couple of thoughts on families of choice. I mean, sure, I think, please. I mean, I think one of them would be, you know, in terms of, I think, I think there's really the importance of creating the space for people to define that family when you're interacting with people within the community. Mm -hmm. So I think that um, rather than asking who, you know, who are you, who are you married to or other things that cr create certain assumptions? I think it may, it's sometimes useful to just ask who, who's important to you in your life. And yeah. it's a very open-ended way of, that lets people define things on their own terms. Mm -hmm. And you know, I think it's also important to be aware of coded language and many of the, and this coded language often exi exists because of uh, fears of discrimination and the perceived. So, can you can you articulate a little bit more about what you mean by coded language? Sure. So, you if you're if you're with uh, a couple that, or maybe maybe you're with uh, two two men who have been a couple for the past 50 years and you meet them in their home. Um, one might refer to the other as a friend. Mm -hmm. This is, this is my friend. Uh, so language like that, that, um, that uh, doesn't, doesn't quite tell uh, the, the full depth of their relationship. So sometimes you know, sometimes there can be uh, the need to read between the lines and um, really kind of meet people on their own, literally on their own terms. No, that um, makes total sense. And because uh, it, it takes a while for people to trust you, uh, especially right. if, if you have staff that are coming into the home, uh, not sure. Um, and then... <clears throat> What happens, can you tell us a little bit about your experience or if this has ever happened where you, you alluded to people going back into the closet. So as you know, short-term memory starts to disappear in many of the dementias and it's the longer-term memories that stay in place. And so in the past, people were not out. So all of a sudden there's this strange back and forthness of, Mm -hmm. Yes, I was out, but now in my own mind, I'm not going to, you know, 
talk about that again. Does, does that ever happen to you in your st- mm. in your staff? That, that that's interesting. I mean, I think um, you know, and I think as you you may have said on this show before, if you've met one person with dementia, then you've met one person with mm-hmm. dementia. So, I I haven't in my experience yet uh, worked with someone who went back into the closet kind of as they've time traveled with their with their dementia. Although that's you know that's certainly something that I could foresee happening with oh. with an individual. Yes, yeah, it's, it is a strange way of being, and and I've you know I kind of have experienced that. So tell us a little bit more on how you have prepared your uh, renewal memory care uh, care partners to be more dementia sensitive and competent. What is it that you do to help meet those challenges? Sure, sure. Well, I think one of the first things that we do, you know, before before anything, is we just uh, try to create, um, you know, create the, the the signals that we are a safe space. Um, and so we've done that on our website and you know in our literature for years, um, just very explicitly stating that we are here to to be a safe space for LGBTQ older adults. And um, you know, having it be be more than just a um, a little disclaimer at the bottom of our website, um, and I think the in the in the hiring process, you know, it's a question that we always ask. You know, are you, you know, are you comfortable, or how do you feel about working with people from the LGBTQ community. This is a population that we are very committed to serving. Um, I think the, the, um, the answer to that question can be very telling. Um, if somebody says, I don't have a problem with that, uh, that's, um, that's, that's, a, that's a start, but that's really not the answer that we're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, we're really looking for for individuals who who feel uh, passionate about serving uh, this underserved population and are really eager to embrace their humanity rather than just tolerate it. Um, yes. I like the way you said that. Yes. Yeah, and um, and I think that once uh, once people are on board with us, it is a focal point of our training. So we um, we have worked with an organization called Sage for uh, many years since our inception, and um, I'm not sure if Sage is how well known that may be. Yeah, maybe you could tell a little bit more to the to those who are listening. What is Sage, and what did they teach you. <laughs> sure. Sage is a wonderful, wonderful organization. Uh, it is also an acronym. So it stands for uh, Services and Advocacy for GLBT Elders. And they are a nonprofit that works, um, they're national at this point. I think they were started in a more grassroots way, I believe, in the 70s. And but they now have affiliates all throughout the country, and uh, Sage is wonderful. They have 
um, a variety of programs uh, that are focused both on the national level, um, really advocating for policy changes in Washington, uh, but also um, in the trenches, um, providing social services to people who need them and training organizations throughout the country in cultural competency. So we've been getting trained by SAGE now for a decade, and we've also participated more recently in a program that they launched called SAGE Care. And uh, SAGE Care is a, a program where um, it's a more formalized version of, of this training. And it's a, a, certific uh, it's a certification program where organizations can train um, different levels of their staff in, in cultural competency. And uh, we are at the platinum level, which means that 80% or more of our staff has been trained by SAGE. And you know, they, it's a wonderful training. Um, I highly recommend it to anyone uh, who's in a position to introduce it to their organization. Mm -hmm. it, um, as a member of the community myself, I learned a lot from it. And I, um, sometimes I think I, I, even when I think I know it all, uh, trainings like this are very humbling to me. I totally agree. Yeah, so it's, maybe can you articulate just a few of the topics? Because um, I'm getting a, a question in, in already, and, and that's great. I'll, I'll, it's a little more broad, but I think people are looking for more nuts and bolts. What is the difference from the care? What is different from the care of the LGBTQ community compared to the care of the straight community? So that was a question that that popped up. So maybe if you could um, give us a, a sense of the uh, types of um, topics that you, you use. Sure, sure. Well, I think the, I think that um, you know one of the one of the things that I would say just in response to that question, and Janine, I'm sure you have your thoughts as well. But um, LGBTQ older adults suffer from the same aches and pains as as every other human being. So and the disease, you know, Alzheimer's does not discriminate in the way that it it progresses through somebody. So, you know, I think that the, um, I mean, I think that's the the you know, fundamental approach for caring for all people with Alzheimer's is to take a person centered approach mm -hmm. um, and a humanistic approach. And I think that the more training that we have in cultural competency, you know, hopefully that's just setting the stage for us to put the best practices into place that we already know exist, which is to celebrate the person as they are and to celebrate their past yes. and their accomplishments and to tap into their passions and to be able to relate to them. Um, in a deep and meaningful way. 
So one of the things that the SAGE training covers is just what, what the history has been uh, in the past 60, 70 years for people within the LGBTQ community. They're talking about how um, uh, it's, um, you know, how there's been uh, changes in laws and, and, and um, there were laws on the books even into the 21st century against the community, uh, discrimination in, in housing and employment, um, the, the raids that would take place on a regular basis in social settings, um, and um, you know, even, even within the medical community, um, it was not, uh, um, homosexuality was considered a disorder, I believe, until 1973. So, I think this um, training has really given us a window into what the lived experience has been for members of the community um, whom we are currently caring for and just creating more of a, a, a kind of a pathway for, for empathy. Mm-hmm. Yes, no, I agree. And just to kind of emphasize uh, in the end, it's the, I don't want to say that the did the disease or the underlying pathology doesn't matter. In the end, uh, people progress very similarly, uh, especially towards the towards the end of life. And everyone is deserving of respect. And um, and how and there may be more physical care that's required in the late and final stages of 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 many of the dementias. And um, this is where people also need to be sensitive and competent. You know, if we're talking with and uh, caring for someone who's transgender, you know, that may be confusing to people who may not be familiar with the LGBT part of the of the community. So I think having the skill set and, and the and the healthcare knowledge, particularly. Uh, makes it a little more unique. Um, and so there are differences. Yes, we celebrate the person and their uh, all of their preferences, but I think that there's extra training that um, more especially healthcare providers need to be aware of in the later in the later stages. Would you agree? Um, yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. and um, and I, and I think that's uh, caring for people within the transgender community is something that is um, is um, relatively newer even to people who have had this commitment to the gay and lesbian community for a long time as as we have you know so we're we're also still learning um, how how we can provide better care to the the transgender community as as I think many other dedicated providers are um in terms of in terms of healthcare within the community and what we can do you know i think as providers and people who support people with dementia i mean i think that another another thing that um can come up that i think is important to be mindful of is really on the administrative side um is because um as you know, one of the things that 
is really critical for all of us is to have advanced directives in place. Um, and I think, um, and I think that's especially true for people within the community who, because there's been many horror stories of, of couples who have been together for, for decades, um, but they're not married. Mm -hmm. And when they, and when the, mm -hmm one of them gets sick, the, the rights and privileges of their lifetime partner are, are not honored. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, and I think in, in some cases, decision-making capacity may go to a, bl a blood relative that is not as close to the person as their life partner would be. So, I think um, one thing that we try to do with anyone that we work with in the community is to make sure that they have that documentation in place. Uh, if they have a, however, however they've defined their family of choice, to mm -hmm. make sure that their healthcare proxies and powers Good of attorney point. are are aligned with that. Yes, yes, it's important for everyone, as for sure, uh, but especially in this community, because again, we cannot make any assumption and uh, we would hate to be people be at the end of their life with no one to speak for them on their behalf on what their wishes would be. So good, good point, Joe. Um, all right. I'm going to be starting to ask people to add their questions either through Q&A and chat. Uh, we, we've started that. And while your, I, you know, your questions are bubbling up, uh, I just remembered, and, and I guess I'll toot my own horn here, uh, in terms of uh, resources, I was able to uh, participate and write in this uh, in this book called Welcoming LGBTQ Residents, A Practical Guide for Senior Living Staff, uh, Tim Johnston, he is the Senior National uh, Director for uh, Projects for SAGE. And I wrote in there about um, uh, memory loss and LGBTQ care. So if any of you who are working in care communities. Uh, this would be something uh, that Sage produced, but uh, I, I was had the good fortune of being able to contribute to it and um, would encourage that. Joe, is, well, while we're waiting, is there any question, is, what points would you really like to emphasize here um, that I didn't, you know, what questions didn't I ask so far? that you wanna make sure people leave uh, who may be family care providers or, or uh, people of the community themselves or uh, anyone listening at what, what do you wanna make sure you hit home? Um, well, that you're, you're a really great interviewer, Janine. So <laughs> I think you've, uh, you've covered so many of the essential <laughs> points. Um, but let me let me let me think about that for a second. Sure. Um, I mean, I think that really the I think the point that would be most important that would really just uh, inform everything else 
is to really draw this distinction between um, tolerance and embracement. Of love that. I love that. Yes. Tell, tell, us, tell us more. I have an idea, but tell us more. <laughs> oh, well, sure. I, I, I just think that um, I think that for I think that for a long time, I think that uh, I think that the bar has just been set a lot lower in terms of what's considered acceptable. And I think for a long time, the bar was set at tolerance, where which basically just meant that we're not going to be hostile to somebody who is a member of the LGBT community. We're not going to verbally accost them. Of course, we're not, you know, there's not going to be any physical harm done to this individual. Mm-hmm. But it's, but I think that, um, I think that acceptance in the past has really been more geared towards just um, guaranteeing somebody's safety rather than truly honoring them as a human being. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, um, you know, if not not talking about about somebody's about somebody's you know life in terms of who who they've who they've loved you know is i think a sin of omission i think that everyone i think that one of the most important things with dementia is the you know having the space to reminisce and to Mm. celebrate memories and you know i think that everyone within the community should have the right and the ability to talk about when they first fell in love and what was that like and how did they meet their partner yeah. and you know what what was what what was it like to for you when you were when you were 21 years old mm-hmm. i think um to 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 just um to 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 not to not uh, talk about those things, I think, is doing somebody a disservice. Yes. No. Yeah. I I totally agree, Joe. A question popped up, and it's it's relevant and um, maybe a little to the side, but the question is uh, from Edie: Are there specific legal issues that we must know due to marital status? within the LGBTQ community, legal issues that we must know regarding uh, the LGBT, okay. So that's the question. Um, yeah, that's that's a great question. And uh, I, um, I uh, went to uh, business school rather than law school. So I, I don't have a, a, a great answer for you, but I could point you to, the Lambda Legal uh, Defense Fund. One. I believe that, that they are an organization that you know kind of specializes in in legal issues uh, within the community, mm-hmm. and um, I believe um, I believe that marriage equality on the federal level has um, you know has um, has resolved many of those issues. But I think that nevertheless, at the end of the day, the, we do need people on the front lines to be, to be, you know, to be 
competent and honoring these relationships. And I think that's where, where things can still fall short, unfortunately, even though the legal protections are in place. Right. They could be in place, but it's the attitude and the not, you know, being non-judgmental and the inclusivity Uh, that takes longer. You can put the laws on the books, but it takes, as we know, uh, time for people to change the way they think. Right. When, when you're being triaged at the hospital, how is that, how is that experience unfolding? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Um, Also elder care attorneys can help as well. So that's uh, another piece. Uh, If there's a concern about LGBTQ in marriage, uh, people, you look for those who specialize in elder care. Uh, who also um, have a background in LGBTQ plus issues. Well, this, um, we can go on and on. Um, And it has been an absolute um, joy and privilege to hear from you and to thank you uh, as a, as, you know, as as a member of the LGBTQ community uh, for your, your work in this. Uh, I also want to make sure that people know that you hire, you, you know, you, you make a concerted effort, an intentional effort to help, you know, to hire people uh, from the same community. We do, we do. Um, it's, it's not something that we can, um, it's not something that we can ask people, uh, you know, from a, from a compliance standpoint when they interview with us. Uh, but many people do come to us uh, and self-disclose that they are a member of the community and that they are interested in working with us because of our mission uh, to serve the LGBTQ community. And I think that by, uh, by recruiting members from the community, um, we've, you know, we've been able to serve as a as a conduit for the community to care for itself, which has been a really beautiful opportunity for us. Oh, absolutely! Uh, no, it, it it absolutely has, and I think um, individuals are, are are that much better uh, to you know, feel cared for, for some, from people who kind of know, know the situation. So mm-hmm. on that note, what I'm going to do is uh, share my screen. And um, again, thank you, Joe. Thank you. And if others need to have uh, other uh, questions with Joe, you can reach him through a Renewal Memory Care. And we'll see how I'm going to just want to make sure that people know um, to let's see if I can share this. Yes. I can put my email address in the in the chat if that's oh, that if would that's be great. Okay. That would be great. So I want to put up on the screen. I did have on the screen. Where the heck? Let's see. Today is one of those technology days. Um, current slide. The Dementia Society of America. Uh, we couldn't do this without the support of DSA. Uh, 
And I would highly encourage all of you who are listening in and, and watching uh, to take a look at all that is available through DSA. And it continues to grow. And if, if you're um, able, would encourage you to, to donate. Uh, this is an all volunteer uh, program and it allows for additional education and, and training uh, uh, to many uh, care providers and family caregivers and also provide C money uh, for, for research within, within the area. So um, thank you uh, for that. And now I'll stop sharing one more time. Just to say to everyone who's listening, uh, thank you again. Uh, feel free uh, to listen to the recorded version that will be available. Uh, it, it, it takes a little bit for, for Kevin to put that together, but it will be available on YouTube. And uh, Joe has put his uh, email and number um, on, on the chat function for, for those of you who are interested. So on that note, we wish everyone well and come join us again next month. Take good care.